everyone. Welcome to the 401k Marketing Podcast. Are you ready to be the go-to expert in the retirement plan community? Listen in as we share ideas, resources, and best practices that you can use to professionalize your firm, demonstrate your authority, and earn more 401k business. Welcome back to the 401k Marketing Podcast. I'm Rebecca Auerhan, your host, and I want to make marketing fun for you. Today, our guest, Tom Clark, does just that, and we're going to pick his brain. With that, welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, Rebecca, how are you? doing great. <laughs> uh, well, most people today know you as a very prominent and influential ERISA attorney, but there has to be a story behind that. So Tom, share with us, how did you get into the 401k industry? Uh, it's a funny story. When I went to law school, uh, you got me thinking about this, uh, knowing that I was going to come on and speak to you. And uh, I was, uh, when I went to law school, I was going to be a labor side uh, uh, union attorney, labor attorney. And uh, I grew up in a family of union folks, uh, Teamsters, IBEW, um, and uh, my brother-in-law was a long-term Coke truck delivery man who was president of the te- his local Teamsters by the time you know, I got to know him after 30-something years of delivering. And so I went to law school thinking that's what I was going to do, go back to New Jersey where I grew up, and uh, uh, I was going to be set and work with the unions. And I took every labor law and employment law course there was for my first two years. I interned at the NLRB uh, in St. Louis, which is the organization that deals with uh, labor relations. And then in the beginning of my third year of law school, I took pensions and tax favored savings. Ooh. Uh, I know that's a, that's a very catchy name uh, with a guy uh, named uh, Peter Wiedenbeck, uh, who's very much a mentor and a friend. And uh, it changed my life. I fell in love with Arissa, and he was—he uh, had an, an infectious personality in the way that he taught it, and the way that he got excited about the policy. He's a big policy guy, um, and has written a number of books. But but really made the policy aspect of Arissa and the 401k uh, world uh, exciting and interesting, and how it touches people's lives. A very very, you know, every angle you possibly could could live in your life, somehow the 401k in the ERISA world benefits health, touches people's lives. And uh, so that was that. And then the next thing you knew to try to get a job in the area, I got my master's in tax. And, and as you know, my first job out of law school was working for Jerry Schlichter. And uh, it was 2008. And uh, he had mechanized his uh, fee lawsuits in 06. And uh, he was based here in St. Louis, and I decided to stay here rather than move back to the East Coast. And uh, somebody connected me with him, and I got the job, and I guess the rest is history. I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. <clears throat> yeah. How did you meet Jerry? Like That just seems like you come from this law professor with this like exciting, all these possibilities around retirement plans, and then Jerry Slichter. Like, so that so- seems so contrasting. Yeah, I mean, the short story was I was very close with another law professor who had a student that she was close with who was already working there. And so she was able to sneak in my resume. And uh, Jerry was impressed that I had spent my year um, tax LLM focused on ERISA and employee benefits. Uh, But it was actually a funny first interview. I showed up. It was very clear that he did not know I was coming. And... (laughs) I haven't told this story in years and put me in a conference room 
And I waited in that conference room for an hour and a half for him to show back up. And in that hour and a half, I'm guessing he read my resume during the hour and a half and probably had conversations with the HR guy, probably got interrupted about five or six other times knowing what his workday was like later on. But finally, he showed up uh, in the room. Uh, I had a beautiful view of the uh, arch out his conference room window in the Mississippi River. So I had just been watching riverboats for about an hour at that point. And, um, and yeah, and we interviewed and that was that. I mean, it, it was a fascinating place to work. As you know, I've told those stories before, yeah. uh, the kind of work that we were doing, um, cutting edge stuff, if you will. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was, you know, I learned a lot of things from Jerry. He was, he was a hard worker more than anything else. And, you know, people say what they want about him, but I, I will give him credit for him and a, a handful of other mentors I had there uh, taught me skill set as an, you know, a hard work ethic as an attorney and how to make sure you overturn every stone and leave nothing to chance. And, and you know, you might lose by law, you might lose by facts, but you're never going to lose because somebody out hustles you. And so it was a, it was a way of doing business there to always, always, always out hustle, no matter what. I think my new favorite word right now is hustle. I don't know. Yeah. Isn't that what we're doing? Yeah. It's what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. It, you know, the, the, the phrase that I hear is surviving versus thriving in this environment. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not sure those are really fair tests anymore because I'm not sure what surviving means in this environment. I'm not sure what thriving means, but hustle, yeah, I'm with you. You know, everyone, I see everyone hustling, whether it's, you know, people in our industry or people changing their restaurants to, you know, pick up windows and figuring out how to deliver to the bookstores who are delivering now or doing curbside. I mean, everybody's hustling to make it work. We've had to figure it out. And yeah. the innovation that comes with that is, is also a strong drive to hustle. Well, yeah, that's right. Maybe that's the the mantra for 2021. It's like, get your I hope so. <laughs> Better than uh, being at home some more, right? Oh, good God. Yeah. I think I've watched everything on Netflix. So <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> um, so here's a question for you. You know, as we are uh, reflective, especially, you know, this time of year, the holiday season, also coming out of 2020, which has been, you know, a very introspective year for a lot of people. If you could talk to your younger self, what piece or pieces of career advice would you share? I would go back and tell myself how incredibly wise my dad was and influential he was to me during that stage of my career. And luckily, it's not one of those situations where I had to go back and say, wow, I wish I had done something different. And what I mean by that is when I started to work for Jerry and, 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 and at that firm, uh, at first, you know, it seemed really fun, right? Six weeks out of the gate, I find myself in California for a two and a half week swing of second sharing depositions and you know, and, and doing all, traveling all of, I was in like 14 different American cities in the first 12 months of that job, doing depositions and finding myself at the FedEx Kinko's at 3 a.m. in downtown LA printing exhibits. And it was a wild thing, but I also billed 2,650 hours my first 12 months there. Wow. Right. And, and I wanted to quit so bad after that first or second year when things really got into the grind and you know, it was just a grind. As, as, and, and my dad, being a restaurant owner and a chef, 
he didn't know the first thing about being a lawyer. He didn't, although he had paid lawyers over the years, right? He didn't know the first thing about ERISA, uh, but he did know about what it took to grind out and get that experience. And he told me about jobs that he had in, in, in New York kitchens growing up and being a, a, learning to be a chef and um, how jobs that he absolutely hated and people who were not nice, and, but he had to learn under them, right? And you gotta grind it out and you gotta get the experience and what, was, uh, what, would he, what he realized more than I did at the time was that what I was doing at that firm was very unique and different than what other people were doing. And again, he didn't know the first thing about it, but I told him stories and he understood implicitly that what I was doing was unique and that I would be able to leverage that later. And so he encouraged me and encouraged me, encouraged me to stay. And I stayed for five years, right? Which is a really long time. And, um, you know, my dad was right. I mean, that five years doing that really unique thing makes me the unique person that I am now in our industry, right? There are a lot of fantastic ERISA attorneys out there. A lot of them work for us, you know, at our firm, and a lot of them are at other firms and people I have wonderful respect for. But there was a really unique place that I was at that time in, in our industry where applying the rules and, and learning how lawsuits are brought and, and how they originate and how the rules apply to actual behavior and how plaintiff's lawyers look at that behavior and extrapolate it out and how people could be sued, whether they do things right or wrong, it doesn't matter, uh, they can still be sued. You know, that has been a perspective I have been able to leverage in my everyday compliance practice as I've gotten away from litigation, although I still do a lot of litigation as I've gotten away from litigation and really have tried to keep people out of trouble because that is the best way for things to be is not to get in trouble in the first place, right? It offers me a perspective that, that not a whole lot of other people have, right? So everything from, you know, just how the law works really works, right? In the sense that the only person that care, you know, we do all of this work and in the end, there's one person who decides whether we do a good job and it's a federal judge because there's no juries and you get 10 or 15 minutes of that person's attention at a hearing. That's it. So your whole complicated smorgasbord of things and words and process that we care about, you got to be able to sell that in five or 10 minutes, sometimes in two or two pages to a judge. And if you can't sell it, then it doesn't matter how awesome you were, because if they can sell their story better, you, you know, not that judges don't dig in, but you know, you have to grab these people as attention when they have three or 400 other cases on their dockets. So, so, you know, it goes to even just keeping meeting minutes, you know, how do meeting minutes, how should they read? What, what needs to be in them? Because nobody goes back and reads meeting minutes later unless you need to. And one of the reasons you need to is when somebody's questioning why you did something and you're being deposed. So it, it informs what, how I recommend meeting minutes be kept so that three or four years from now, when someone says, why did you do that? It's very easy to go to the meeting minutes. Well, look, we, this is the decision we made. This is the information we considered. And most importantly, this is why the decision we made was in the best interest of the plan participants. That's, that's you know, so it, it I, I know I'm a little bit off track on that, but that, that is, that uniqueness <clears throat> was, it was the thing that I would go back and say like, your dad is right. Listen, luckily, I did listen to him and, and, you know, I lasted as long as I could, but he was so right. And that's the advice that I would give to anyone 
in our industry is you've got to find a niche. You've got to be unique somehow. Um, you, you've got to find a perspective that's different than everyone, not different, but, you know, different and unique from what everyone else is doing. And it's hard too. I mean, you said 2,600 hours in the first year, billable hours. Like yeah. you were running at a marathon speed for the entire year. Yeah, that's right. It's unheard of. And then I had a good friend come in and say, hey, you know what? No one's ever going to come in here and tell you to take a day off. There's a great law review article written by a law professor and so I have to give credit to it. I didn't make this up. It says the practice of law is like a pie eating contest where the only prize is more pie. <laughs> and that could be said of a lot of industries, right? But, but the practice of law is, 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 uh, is especially one. And so um, that, that he was five years ahead of me out of law school. And it was a very influential conversation in terms of that was an insane first year. You took two days off. There are no gold stars, no trophies. They just give you more work. And so uh, that person really encouraged me to do, take time off, to take care, better care of myself and to make time for myself. And so that was uh, another wonderful piece of advice that I got after that first crazy marathon year. Awesome. So are you doing that? Are you still upholding to those principles today and giving yourself a little R&R time? Yeah, I have a coach. I have a coach, that, an industry coach uh, person who I see... Uh, once a month and, and we focus on whatever we're gonna focus on. And uh, I, I guess I was hitting up the gym before COVID. Now everyone's doing home workouts, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm still not brave enough to go back to a facility during this time, you know, someday. Rode a lot of, rode my bike a lot during the uh, when warm, warm weather, but now it's like 20 degrees outside. Oh, you, you don't have that problem where you are. Thankfully, no. Yes. No. No, no. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, so one thing that sets, so we started off our podcast and we said that we want to make uh, marketing fun sure. for you. And Tom, you're always so creative in what you're doing with the Wagner Law Group. And so I just wanted to ask you today, how have sales and marketing played a role in your professional life? For the last 10 years, it has played the most essential part. Uh, before I left Schlichter, I knew that I needed to do something to make like what my next step was going to be. And there was no clear path in front of me. Uh, there aren't many uh, benefits ERISA jobs here in St. Louis. They're very kind of few and far between. I could easily have moved to New York or Chicago or DC or LA and found a lot more jobs, Dallas, but they were very few and far between. So I realized I needed to make my own path and make my own luck essentially. And so mid, so during my five years there, maybe about year three, I started meeting people in the industry and started having breakfast with people and being introduced. And that person introduced me to the next person. And that person introduced me to the next person. And I just listened and learned. What's a wholesaler? What's a DCIO? How is a small 401k plan sold, right? How, how does the industry actually work, right? Why does that person care about that person? Why did you get a call from the rep at that record keeping firm? You know, why, why, why are you going to that conference, right? Because it all mattered. Uh, it, because, you, you know, in our industry, things are really sold, not bought. And so you have to understand how all the pieces fit together and how people rely on other professionals in the industry to get their job done. And so I spent two, three years having those meetings. And that really informed what I thought was, oh, listen, I have it all worked out. I'm going to leave Schuchter and 
I'm going to be a consultant and I'm going to sell my knowledge. And that didn't work. And uh, not at all, as a matter of fact. And the short story there is because I didn't make a very good consultant. Uh, it, at the end of the day, uh, it, it, there's a much longer story, but for our short podcast here, it came down to the greatest value I offered to my potential clients was not as a consultant for me, it was as a lawyer. So I had to go back into the, I left the practice of law fully for about a year and a half, then had to go back into the practice of law. And during that year and a half, you know, I kept trying to sell this and sell this service and had all these great ideas. And um, the one constant that kept coming back to is I was focusing on what I thought was a good idea as opposed to focusing on uh, what is now my North Star, what I learned the hard way, which was in the books. It was there. It's not like this is any original idea. It's just sometimes you have to find the path again yourself in your own way, but the path is there, right? You know that, I know that. And, and so it was just the path to focusing on uh, in the sales and marketing realm, like providing value to people and thinking about it from their perspective and what is the greatest form of value I can add to this client or this group of clients or this kind of client and just drilling down into that, getting feedback, finding out, you know, doing, having a lot of conversations with folks, what, you know, where's your pain points? What are you feeling? And then responding to that. And again, I can point to five books on my shelf, which tell that story, but Sometimes you just got to go live it to realize that really is the truth, right? That's really how this works. And so that's how it ended up playing a part. And when I figured that out, and when I always remember the difference between features and benefits, which is like marketing 101, like the first day, right? You know, we all lawyers, especially risk attorneys, constantly want to focus on how smart we are and how much we know the tax code. Well, those are features. At the end of the day, our clients don't give a crap about really what the tax code provision of this, that, and the other thing, what that DOL advisory, they don't care how smart we are that I can remember what's in paragraph three of advisory opinion 89-05A, I made that up, no one cares, right? No one cares, they care how it benefits them. And so when I, again, got down and I'm focusing my, what, how I put my energy into meeting people and networking and focusing on what benefits my clients or prospective clients and how I add value to them. My career and my ability to connect with clients has grown you know, exponentially, which has then had a profound effect on my ability to take a senior leadership role here at the firm. I'm now the COO, in addition to being a partner and managing the St. Louis office. Uh, yeah, 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 dance party. And uh, <laughs> without the basics of sales and marketing and understanding how, how that really works in our industry I and mean, how it works for me. I, you know, taking nothing away from those attorneys who do great jobs just doing the work, right? And we have plenty of those and we need them. We're desperate for them. You know, if it wasn't for them, those of us who are spending four days out of the office at the conference or going and visiting a client on site you know, you need those people to do the work and, you know, the whole ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. But for me personally, my piece of the puzzle that I add in at our firm, the sales and marketing is, is, is the only thing that makes it possible for me to have gotten to this point. Love it. So focus on the benefits, 
even though you know all the features because people want to know how does that impact them as opposed to how smart and professionally qualified their ERISA attorney is. Because we know we need that, but we also need to put it in normal human speak. You know, but it's the same thing with with all professional services, right? Whether you're an architect, an engineer, you know, nobody cares how you use the CAD program. They just want to know how beautiful the drawings are for the custom house that you're building, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they they, they don't really care how the computer worked to to get to that point or whether you did it by hand or whether you used fancy 3D rendering software. They don't care about that. People care about the, you know, the end, the end product and how, how it affects them. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But in our world, and I know I'm just one piece of it as an ERISA attorney, one piece of our overall industry, you know, but we speak a foreign language. Yeah. And, and at least on my angle, you know, if I were a criminal lawyer, criminal defense attorney, or a divorce attorney, hmm. or even a trust and estates attorney, or a family, you know, or a, 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 or a bankruptcy lawyer, right? Sure. I don't need to, from the get-go, I don't need to explain what I do or how I, right? I mean, you, yeah. you know, and, 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 and even in, you know, the world <laughs> of our financial advisors for retirement plans, you know, I can drive down the street and see all of these places and be like, oh, if I had, if I had a million dollars, you know, that person would help me manage my money. I don't need to explain the concept of how it works. Mm-hmm. You know, like going in, the client already understands what you do. I imagine I have some of the same threshold educational issues that your average retirement plan advisor has, or third-party administrator, anybody who sells retirement plans, right? In, in whatever capacity. Mm-hmm. It's, excuse me, what? What are you talking about? VCP mm-hmm. what? Tax code who? Right? What, what are you even, ta- what do you do? Right? I, I'm not sure my own wife understands what I do, right? But that's okay. We're in an interesting spot. We're in an interesting industry. We're where yes, we can't talk about, like we do need to talk about benefits and we should lead with benefits. But then there really does have to be this very small window of features discussion to even kind of explain what we do, right? And, and if the average person listening to this you know, podcast as a retirement plan advisor, which I'm assuming is the majority of our listeners, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be other people, right? But the, I mean, you all know that you go in and you, and that you have to educate them very quickly as to why they should even care about the plan, right? And and some of that's benefits, but some of it's features, right? A lot of it's features. Like there's this thing called the DOL. There's this thing called the IRS, and they can knock on your door anytime they want. Or you know, there's this thing called you want your employees to retire and not still be working at 85. Right. Because health insurance is really expensive for an 85 year old. Right. So, you know, but again, part of that's benefits, part of its features. So for us in our industry, we have such that educational curve that it becomes so fascinating to me mm-hmm. that we have to get over. And, and I find that those who do the best sales and marketing are the ones who can weave back and forth between that and weave that story in a way and connect with people right where they are um, and, and do a hell of a lot of listening as well, right? I mean, that, that's probably the most foremost skill. Maybe that's the one thing I'll add back to myself as a younger self is listen more. Because um, as I've learned to listen more in my later years to clients and prospects, it's amazing what they'll tell you if you just stop talking. 
love it. This is fun. Um, I'm laughing. Um, back in the day at LPL, one of my coworkers, Ted Hageman, his, uh, at the time, his daughter was like five. And she's like, daddy, what do you do? And Ted was a retirement plan consultant. And he's like, man, how do I explain to my five-year-old what a retirement plan consultant is at a home office? Like, this is nuts. So he's looking at his daughter and he goes, honey, I help people retire. And he came in the next day and he shared this with the team because he was so excited. And I'll never forget that story because how do you take this super complicated, as you mentioned, like DOL and the IRS and ERISA and home offices and RAs and SSA, like acronym soup and boil it down to like, what do we actually do? And Ted talking to his daughter said it so, so simply. And I just loved that story. Well, I will tell you that is one of the side effects as a sidebar, one of the positive side effects is my nine-year-old spent March to October here with me at the office mm -hmm. when he couldn't go to school. Right. And he overheard a lot of conversations and, you know, just by default, a lot of us have kids in the back. There's nothing we can sure. do. Right. And he heard a lot. And by the time we were done, it was amazing. He kind of understood what I do. You know, he listened to the, you know, he would hear some of the same conversations over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. The kind of questions I would ask and what's going on and how does that work? And how are you feeling about that? And, you know, where's the problem? And he's, okay, now I get what you do. And I'm like, okay, all right, cool. <laughs> do we have a future ERISA attorney in the, in the room? Uh, do we allow cursing on the podcast? <laughs> You can say whatever your heart's content. So my sister asked him a couple months back whether he wanted to be an attorney. And his answer was, hell no. <laughs> but he didn't say hell. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we'll see. We'll we'll bring him to the next industry conference. That's right. <laughs> we'll That's have right. him on stage. Come to Vegas with us in September. Do a October. panel discussion and say, how was your, your summer internship? Yeah, that's right. I'll build his resume. Oh my God. Uh, too too young. All right. Um, well, you've obviously been in our industry now, I think it's 15 years, right? 13, 13, 13 okay. years. In that time, a lot of things have changed. Um, I mean, Pension Protection Act, we had 408B2, the SECURE Act, the CARES Act, well, it just keeps going and going and going. Yeah. If you were to kind of step back from your purview. How have you seen our industry evolve? I mean, there's the obvious answers that the, the government, the different agencies are constantly keeping us on our toes, right? Mm -hmm. Which is good for some of us, bad for others, but generally good, right? That they're constantly um, adding new regs, new, which, which has kept all of us busy, yep. right? New laws, new regulations. So that's one angle. I think the other angle is that as an industry, we are constantly innovating, right? And, and that's one thing that really draws me to this area uh, uh, and, and much more so than if I think I was stuck in another profession, which is that there are a lot of people that you and I know that we see around at conferences and we get, we've gotten to know over the years that are just constantly thinking outside the box and innovating. Mm -hmm. And that is not a hallmark of every industry by any means. And, um, so I think, you know, we have, of course, legalistic changes, but I think we also have, you know, positive innovation changes. And so that's how I've seen the industry change. 
Well, if you were to look at that positive in industry changes with the innovation, um, what do you think our industry does really well, but the outside world doesn't see it and we're not getting credit for it? Well, I don't even know that I need to focus on the outside world. I could focus on the damn DOL. Mm. Um, uh, this is this is public information. The client, I had an advisor client who got audited by the Department of Labor. And so this is a fair story to tell. I've actually been on stage with this client telling this story. And the DOL was super focused on the fact that in this advisor service agreement, they provided advice on plan design. Uh, as part of their overall fee. Now, I don't remember whether it was a flat fee as in $50,000 or a level fee as in 25 basis points. Either situation, it doesn't matter, right? It was, this was the fee and there was this long list of services. And one of them on this huge list was, hey, we're gonna help you talk about auto enrollment and auto escalation. And the DOL said under their longstanding policy, that's settler stuff, not fiduciary stuff, and you're not allowed to charge the plan for it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I will tell you, in my mind, I was ready to go to war. Like I got my war footing, I got my tanks and my missiles, and I was ready to run that all the way up to Phyllis Borsi, right? Who was this, you know, I, I was gonna fight the DOL to the last tooth and nail, how incredibly asinine of a position that was. Because to answer your question, what we don't get credit for is, you really think when we pass a, when they pass a reg or there's a new policy, the average plan sponsor mm-hmm. who is anywhere from a lawyer to a plumber to an electrician to a factory to a restaurant to a you name it, yeah. they are sitting there worried about how to sell their widgets or their services, make payroll, and the 150 other laws that on any given day they have to balance and pass. You're a business owner. You understand. Yeah. I've been invited into being... Uh, you know, quasi business owner, I'm learning, right? I'm only learning what it takes to run a 60 employee law firm. And every time something pops up, my head wants, you know, my head wants to explode, right? It's, it's, it's tough just running a business, let alone making money, right? And so the average plan sponsor is not going to wake up on a Tuesday and say, I know what I need to spend the next 25 hours in the next month doing. I'm going to implement auto enrollment. It, is, it doesn't happen. That, that is, that is a, 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 I have more of a chance of waking up tomorrow a Russian ballerina than an <laughs> average plan sponsor waking up tomorrow and saying, I'm going to go implement auto enrollment, right? Or I'm going to stumble upon the, uh, you know, the uh, um, target date fund guidance that the DOL put out a few years ago, and I'm going to follow it faithfully. Like, no. No, they need us as industry people pushing their policies. And so I, what, what really gets me going is that when we don't get enough credit is that the government is not working through us more and sometimes is working against us in implementing the very policies that they want. Like you would think a sound exception mm-hmm. to the settler fiduciary plan asset charging to the plan rule and I know that Napa is fighting for this and we'll see whether we ever get it, but you would think a sound policy would be that an advisor gets to be paid talking about plan design as long as the focus of the plan design is for the general benefit of the plan participants, as opposed to, I know that we can do plan design that extends tax benefits for the owner, which is always very important. I understand the policy about why the owner should get tax benefits to carry along all the tax benefits to the workers. I get it, right? 
a lot of 401k plans are put in place because of the benefits to the owner. And I think that's a fine policy. It's very important. Mm -hmm. But in this instance, auto enrollment has almost nothing to do with the owner. But the DOL took a hard line. And so to me, that's really, maybe that's a skewed perspective because that's the kind of stuff that I focus on. And some of your other guests might have a much better answer to that question, right? But my answer is, I wish that the agencies would recognize greater opportunities for partnership with the people listening to this and realize that we are the army of people carrying out their policies and not work against us. Like not come out with the fifth fiduciary rule in 10 years, right? Like realize that we are the thing that makes this happen, not the average plan sponsor. Because the average plan sponsor is just trying to keep the lights on. That's, that's such an interesting perspective because if you think of the SECURE Act, with the tax credits now on auto enrollment. And then you think of the increase on the automatic deferral levels up to 15%. I'm sure TPAs are talking about that, but a lot of advisors are talking about that. Yeah, it, it, but again, your average plan sponsor is not gonna stumble upon that. No, they, no they're they not. Need, like a lot of things, they need somebody to educate them. Yeah. Don't make our lives harder for us to educate the very policies you're asking people to implement. That, 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 that's, that's what I don't think we get credit enough for. Great, great points. Great points. Yeah. So, well, it's time, Tom, to get out your crystal ball. And if you were to look at our industry and it's how it's going to evolve in the next 10, five, 10 years from now, what do you yeah. see? This is one of my favorite things to talk about. Mm. And, and, um, because you know, everyone in the last 10, 15 years that I've been in this industry said, you know, this is going to be the thing that changes the industry. You know what I mean? It was, it was always this one thing and it was going to change. And then really in the end, it's not really all that different. Right. Uh, but I will say, I think there's some moving pieces right now that have a better chance of fundamentally changing how our industry looks. I'm not going to guarantee that it's going to change. Uh, it could 15 years from now, it could look 10, 10, 15, it could look exactly like it does right now, right? But if there is going to be massive shifts, there's a couple of things that are going to be wayfinders, if you will, right? And then everything else is going to sort of gravitate around those, assuming they stick, okay. right? Um, so one of them is if the big record keepers um, figure out how to roll out PEPs in a way that makes it more advantageous for the average plan sponsor to adopt a PEP. Uh, you know, listen, there's a lot of plan sponsors who, who right now just go direct to record keepers. They don't use an advisor, they don't use a TPA, you know, they're fully bundled, uh, but they still, if they're over 100 people, they still have to get an auditor, they still have to do all this stuff. You start taking all of those other painful parts of it away. Mm -hmm and you get the largest amount of assets in one place, right? Which is what the record keepers, a few wirehouses and broker dealers have huge amounts of money, right? A few advisory firms have huge amounts of money, but you, you start to get those big pots of money and you can build a pet structure around that, that becomes its own gravitational force, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and you start to see the, Amazon-ish coming of our industry, right? Which is I get on a website even more than I can now, do, 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 and now boom, I have it. And it's very kind of set it and forget it. 
that that could be very attractive to plan sponsors moving forward, it, especially as that becomes more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. The the and the reason why I think that and, and why so? How can that become so much more sophisticated? You know, attractive to the average plan sponsor. It's because what we're seeing is also the confluence of ecosystems. So we're seeing our 401k connect with data for other services in our life, whether it's student loans or um, learning how to save or our bank accounts or you know, uh, debit cards and, and, and all of these things. So if I can create an ecosystem, just like you know, my wife loves Apple, I love Amazon. So I buy all my movies on Amazon, she buys all her app movies on Apple. And luckily we have devices that can play both of them, right? But it, you know, if my 401k is on a platform that also connects to my bank, which also connects in a special way to other things, now all of a sudden it creates this data ecosystem. To me, the key is that the only way to continue to innovate is to spend huge amounts of money on technology. So as you know, Rebecca, we've talked about offline. I have a number of tech clients mm-hmm. in my practice that I'm very grateful for because they allow me to see into the future, into what they're doing. And I have about a half a dozen tech clients and I see all these projects they're working on mm-hmm. and all of it takes huge amounts of capital, right? And so if I have the largest pot of money in a pep at a record keeper, and I need to spend some obscene amount of money, like $30 million developing whatever the next cool thing is gonna be. Mm-hmm. I now have this huge pot of assets to spread that cost across. That- You can do it. I can do it. Yeah. And so it's gonna be it's gonna be the K, you know, mm-hmm. like those with the money can spread the cost and then the greater ecosystem and then it has more gravity and more gravity and more gravity. And then we're away from features. Mm-hmm. No one really gives a crap that blank, blank record keeper has the fanciest portal. And, you know, it's, it's the benefits to people and it's the benefits are going to be gravitational forces and pull them in. So that's one piece. The other gravitational piece that I see, I see a lot of consolidation and a lot of advisors joining these monolith groups that also have insurance and brokerage sides to them. So now I'm creating this ecosystem of selling and I've got my property and casualty and my health benefits and my 401k and my life insurance and everything and the 401k pay people can sell to them. And we've seen some of the biggest people in our industry get Mm -hmm. bought out by these big groups. And then you see a lot of people that kind of went into a little bit of, I'm not going to call it a slumber, but you saw some big insurance companies who used to be wildly successful in the pension days when insurance products were really sold. They kind of took a seat step back and then the mutual fund based record keepers kind of came forward for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now you see those same insurance companies realize they have a ton of money and they're investing huge amounts of money. Some of them under the radar buying mm-hmm. practices and growing. Some of them are more splashy and big announcements. Others don't say a word and have bought hundreds of advisors over the last few years building up. And so now you're creating these monolith ecosystems, mm-hmm. which either then have the money to build the technology we were talking about earlier, or they can partner with the record keepers to build the technology or both, right? So that becomes sort of the second pin, which has its own gravitational force, mm-hmm. which then like, what does your average small advisor do, right? Maybe you don't want to be part of the monolith insurance company. Maybe you don't want to give up control to the mega record keeper, right? Mm -hmm. Who would only be so happy to take your client 
and be a fully bundled solution and not have you be there. Um, so now you're then going to be forced to work with those vendors who will constantly be advisor focused. So the other sort of third piece I see is that there's going to be a number of vendors in the industry, record keepers, so on, uh, mutual fund companies and, and other investment type companies who are going to recognize the role of advisors. And they're going to come together and make sure that they don't leave advisors on an island. Because at the end of the day, the most interesting thing is like advisors are the ones with the relationships. You know, only so many plan sponsor clients are going to be attracted to an Amazon model. And the thing that I constantly look at as, a, as a, um, an example is, or at least my understanding is the travel industry. So travel agents, you know, when Travelocity came out and all of these yeah. websites, everyone was afraid that travel agents were gonna go out of business, right? What I, my understanding, and again, I'm not a travel agent, what I've been told what has happened is that the travel agents now have some of the best years they've ever had yep. because people are so overwhelmed with the information mm -hmm. and the freedom to buy all of this stuff that people are just looking for something unique and people are looking to have it done for them, right? As a convenience thing, to have a good experience, to do something that, and I see the same sort of lesson happening in our world. Yes, I can go get pulled into the 800 number website world of the monolith, you know, bundled. And that might be perfect for me, for my, my company. And, mm -hmm. and that's great. And that's going to work. But I firmly believe that there's going to be a huge leftover contingent of plant sponsors. Now, I think it's going to get smaller as a percentage of the industry. Sure. But I think there are always going to be those folks who want a concierge model. And I think the most successful advisors in our industry are going to be those who build up their, a concierge practice and can really add the benefit. You know, not just, hey, I'm going to pick your investments. Listen, I can hire somebody else to pick the investments for two, three, four, five basis points, right? What else are you doing for me? Yeah. Right? I'm not so cared about fiduciary funds, fees and stuff. I, I can scare people, right? They can go get me on YouTube to scare the crap out of them about lawsuits, right? They, 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 what are you really adding? And so to me, I think that's the, that is the other big wayfinder. It's the other big gravitational force. Those advisory firms that are figuring out how to truly add value and benefits and become that full scope concierge practice in more ways than just the 401k, that to me is the other huge gravitational force in our industry in the next five to 10 years. Now, maybe one or all of those don't work out, but I'm fairly positive at least one of those three is going to stick. I'm fairly positive all three are going to stick. And then what happens after that, I have no idea. Have me back in a few years and we'll figure it out, right? But, but you know, I think there's gonna be a whole lot of mess and a whole lot of things that we can't possibly imagine that are happening in between those. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's the future. Well, we're definitely gonna have you back way before a few years, Tom, guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> So we've got PEPs, more industry consolidation, and retirement plan specialists continuing to deepen their concierge niche as your it. crystal ball. I love That's it. it. All right. Well, thank you, Tom, so much for being here today on the show. If listeners want to get in touch with you, uh, can you share how they can reach you? Sure. Uh, our website, wagnerlawgroup.com. I'm on there. My email is tclark at wagnerlawgroup.com. That's how to find me or LinkedIn or Twitter. 
Fantastic. All right. Well, I'm Rebecca Auerhan with the 401k Marketing Podcast. To make sure you know when the next episode is posted, click and subscribe below. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's 401k Marketing Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of our guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of 401k Marketing. The content has been available for informational and educational purposes only. We hope you enjoyed.